0: Good morning. God speaks to us in his word in Job 38, 1 through 3. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. This is the word of God. Thank you, Charlene. <clears throat> Good morning. Uh, I got to take some time off last week, and uh, thank you guys for letting me do that. Um, Josh Curry, who is our founding pastor, and a pastor to me was here, and um, he, uh, what a great preacher, and he, uh, he led you guys through Job 28. If you have been in our church for a while, maybe you're used to kind of how we do things. There's a lot of you in this room that... This is your first time here, or second or third time. You're not used to how we do things. Um, we preach through the Bible, uh, which that's not going to be shocking to you. We, we're a church that preaches through the Bible. Um, and, and the series that we're in right now is a series on the book of the Bible called Job. And if you're not familiar with Job, Job is a really interesting story. Job is the name of a man, believe it or not. And Job is this guy that really had it all the bible talks about this dude as being the wealthiest most powerful most known man in all of the east which back then it was like the east was pretty much all anybody knew existed so you could argue that he literally was the most powerful wealthy man in the entire world a known world and <clears throat> there's a figure that comes to Job was also righteous before God. This figure comes to God known as the Satan. So that's a lowercase Satan. That's not uppercase Satan, which literally translates to the accuser. And he comes to God and God asks Satan why he's there, basically. And he says, I've been going to and fro. And God says, Have you considered my servant Job? And long story short, God allows Satan, the accuser, the Satan, to um, bring suffering and pain into Job's life because the accuser said the only reason Job worships you is because you give him stuff. And God says, test him, just don't kill him. And boy, did he test him. Job experienced more pain and suffering than anyone else throughout Scripture minus Jesus. Jesus. He lost everything. He lost all of his wealth. He lost family. He lost friends. He even lost his health. There's one scene in the Bible that describes in Job, He's taking a piece of old cut pottery because he had so many boils all over his skin and just scraping. That's all he could find. The only thing he had left was a broken piece of pottery. He was the wealthiest man in the East. He lost it all like that. And I mean literally within about... Two minutes. One of his servants came and told him, hey, your house blew down. Hey, and by the time he couldn't even get the word out of his mouth, another came and told him like, hey, all your cattle died. And then this, another one, I mean, it was one after another, he lost it all. So this whole book is so far 37 chapters of God not saying a word, not explaining himself, not saying I care about you, nothing. Job, rightfully so, is mad. He's trying to reason with God his life situation now. He even crosses the line at times, it seems. He's angry at God, he doubts him. Job's friends come to his aid and they try to reason about God and the question, the big question that everybody's asking is how can a sovereign God and a loving God also be a just God? Because there's this thought out there that's prevalent in America, especially in the Bible Belt, but especially in America and and the... um, Religious kind of middle to upper class. And that is this thought. It's not biblical. It's that if you worship God, he will bless you. And your idea of blessing is that God gives you the house that you want. He pays your bills for you. If you worship God, you'll get the money and the kids and the health and all that stuff. That's a lie. The accuser actually makes us believe that. And if you need proof, none of you have even one-tenth of the wealth that Job had. And Job, the Bible said, was blameless. On your best day, in your best minute of your life, you're not as righteous as Job was. Pick the best minute of your life, you are not as righteous as Job. He was blameless, not sinless, blameless, and he lost it all. And now we're faced with this dark, brooding moment that's like his friends are gathered around. They're trying to do what we try to do. They're trying to reason away God. Like, Job, what did you do to deserve this? Because they believe like you believe, like I believe, and that's, well, if you do right, God will bless you. If you do wrong, God will take it away. This prevalent question. God is just, God is sovereign, and God is love. Why do bad things happen to good people? It's us stepping outside of our place of authority. It's us saying, not does, how does God govern the world? Because that's a question that we're asking in Job. How does God govern the world? But we go so far as to say, how should God govern the world? There was a king in uh, 10th century Spain. Alfonso was his name. They called him Alfonso the Learned, or if you're from a small town in the south like I am, that's Alfonso the Learned. Alfonso the Learned was this great king. Now, to get that kind of title, that means you have learned some things. He said this, Had I been present at the creation, I would have given some useful hints for the better ordering of the universe. How does God govern the world? This is us saying, how should God govern the world? Let me be your PR guy, God. Let me do your marketing for you. If we could just clear up some of these things. If you just would read off a teleprompter, the stuff that I write, I promise people would like you more. This would go a lot smoother. That's what's happening with Job. That's what Alfonso thought. Govern like I think you should govern. Good things should happen to good people. Bad things should happen to bad people. And I should get to decide who's good or bad. There's another question as well. It just begs this question. If we're asking about how does God govern the world and there's pain and suffering, the other question that's just as prevalent is this. Is God accessible? Can we even get to him? Is he somewhere governing the world at this place that's like past the heavens, past the clouds, even past the universe, past the multiverse? For all the Marvel people in the world, there's a couple. I'm going to raise you hands. Is God on a throne somewhere just looking down, just kind of puppeteering this thing, but not really? He's aloof. He's like, he's got a magnifying glass. When he gets bored, like the ancient Greek gods, when they get bored, they'll do some stuff. Is that how he governs the world? Is that God accessible or is he just capricious? Is he just up there and out there and not really caring? Job and his friends have been sitting together for hours and days, who knows how long, questioning everything about God and everything about Job. They questioned God's sovereignty and his humility. They questioned God's goodness and attributes. They questioned Job's faithfulness. And ultimately, they question God's accessibility. Can we get to him? And they even come to the conclusion, no, we surely can't. Job in chapter nine, if I summoned him and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. For he crushes me with a tempest. He will not let me get my breath. Job can't even catch his breath. Job, again, chapter 23. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. And then again in 31, he says, Oh, that I had one to hear me. Just one. One. Here's my signature, I'm signing, let the Almighty answer me. Fed up, frustrated. Eliphaz, Joe's friend, mockingly in chapter five says, call now, is there anyone who will answer you? Elihu, who was probably the smartest and most humble of all the friends, right before chapter 38 says, the Almighty, here's the conclusion to all the questions about can we find God? Will he answer me? Here's the conclusion. The Almighty, we cannot find him. This is despair. It's not just that they lost everything. It's not just that Job lost all his material things. It's the crux of pain and suffering for someone who follows God. is not the loss of things. It's the loss of God's presence. Have you ever been there where you just like, where is God? Take the stuff. I just want God's presence, and he seems so absent right now. Where is he? Somebody please tell me. Can you find him? Can you find him? My whole life is crazy. He doesn't care. I'm losing friends and family, and I don't know if I'm going to have a job, and... You name it, where is God? Pages of dark tears, poems, and outcries from Job. This is what the Bible calls the dark night of the soul. Job is searching for God. His friends have put the blame on Job. And in Job's searching, in his constant anxiety, in his constant darkness, in his constant fear, that God cannot be found. He's beaten, he's broken, he's alone in the darkness, in the storm, in the whirlwind of light. And right then, in the middle and out of the whirlwind, God finds Job. Job doesn't find God. God finds him. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Man, is God absent from the storm? No sir, he's in the storm. First thing I want you to see in Job is God speaks from the storm. He speaks from the storm. This whirlwind meaning has been debated. It could be an actual whirlwind. Scholars would say maybe a storm that has a tornado or whatever. We know all about that in in, uh, Oklahoma. It could also be a metaphor for the chaos and the pain of Job's suffering. It could be Job's confusion because his friends darkened counsel. Either way, the storm is how God shows up. I love this, because this is just like God. He's not absent from the storm, he's in the storm. And the question of where is God, of course, God comes out of the storm. So in the waist-high waters of pain and suffering, God is in the water. Oswald Chambers says, a man up against painful or difficult things feels that he has lost God, while in reality, he has come face to face with him. God didn't come from a distant place. God's not aloof to pain and suffering. God's not like other gods. Do you understand? He's not like other gods and what you see a representation of Buddha or take your pick, where there's this smiling, distant, aloof, kind of looking off in the distant God. Fat, lazy, and doesn't care. He's trying to tell you that if you just work hard enough, you can achieve this perfect place of peace and nirvana where nothing in your life messes with your heart anymore nobody's ever figured that out by the way buddha seems to be the only one or any other god pantheon of gods i mean you just take your pick either they're angry at you or frustrated or mad at you in general or they're just aloof in a way that's like makes them feel so distant and other, God Almighty, El Shaddai and Yahweh came to us and became one of us. He is acquainted with grief. He suffered in every way on a cross, the picture of Jesus broken and bloody and crucified. That's God. He knows you. He's in the waist high waters of pain and suffering. He's acquainted with it. Is God accessible? More than you can possibly ever know. He's omnipresent always with us. That's good news. God speaks from the storm. Whatever crazy storm you're in, let me just tell you, if you're a Christian today, you have the omnipresence of God with you. He's with you. He's not absent, that's somewhere else. That's comforting. As a matter of fact, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the comforter. Second is this, God the Almighty is also God the accessible. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Powerful. We tend to take this moment different than what it seems and what it's portrayed. We tend to take this moment like a kid getting his hand caught in the cookie jar. God is the angry dad who's aloof, distant, God's somewhere in an unmarked van listening to a wiretap of all of our conversations about him, how mad we are, and he's just waiting behind the bushes to just jump out. And tackle us and tell us, you said this, you did this, I heard this, I saw you do this, and now I'm coming out for you. That's manipulation, by the way. I've had that done to me, and I'm sad to say I've done that to people. It's, it's manipulative. That's what we think of with this scene. God's just been hiding, not intervening, just waiting for the moment to build up an ammunition So that he could just come straight down on Job with all the stuff that Job has felt, whatever. For 37 chapters, God's been absent until finally he gets ticked off enough to come after Job and say, I heard you do this. I saw you do this. This, 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 and this. He's got a long list of things, of accusations to come against Job. Well, that sounds more like the accuser than it does God. It makes sense. It's how... Job and his friends have talked about God for 37 chapters. Even in their reverence at times, they talked about God like he was distant. God, there's something happening here. God has many names, all of them appropriate. But when the Bible names God a certain way, it's time for us to pay attention. And for 37 chapters, God has been given the appropriate name, El Shaddai, which means God Almighty, God Almighty, powerful, omnipotent, but distant, El Shaddai. in 38.1, when God himself speaks, we have a new name for him. It's the Lord. Also, translation is Yahweh. He's been El Shaddai for 37 chapters, and now Yahweh comes in the picture. Yahweh is the name given to the covenantal, personal God. He's not just El Shaddai. In 38.1, he's, I'm your God. I'm Yahweh. I have a covenant with you that can't be broken. No matter how much you question me, no matter how much you doubt, no matter what your friends say, if you're in covenant with me, I hold the covenant. That's Yahweh. That's a personal, friendly God who is also El Shaddai. Don't get it twisted. He's almighty. He corrects Job, but he does it with his arm around him. This is like God taking Job on a walk and telling him, let me put my arm around you and let me ask you some questions. Job, son. He's telling us that he is near to us. Personally, covenantally. The very, one of the times that we See, first, God mentioned as Yahweh is in Exodus, in Exodus 33 and 34. And here's how God reveals himself to another great sufferer, Moses. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That God spoke to Job. God's been on trial throughout this entire book. And so has Job. And in this moment between Job and God, the trial is over. God speaks. Job listens. All the questions about whether or not God is accessible, or whether or not God would stoop to speak to a man is put to bed. And here's the best news, Job wasn't required to be anything other than he what he actually was, which was a doubter, a sinful man, dramatic, irrational, unreasonable. Job wasn't required to be anything than what he actually was in order for God to come and pursue him and find him. That's your story. Job's not sinless. There's only one sinless man, Jesus. He's, Job's more righteous than anybody in this room times ten. But he's still, his righteousness was filthy rags. And God didn't delay. He came to him. God, who is all-powerful, almighty, and also Yahweh. So here it is. Here's God who is Yahweh and God who is El Shaddai speaking to Job. Where were you? When I laid the foundation of the earth. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On where was its basis sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out of the womb? When I made clouds, its garment and thick darkness, its swaddling band, and preached limits for it, prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Verse 22, have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hail? which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is on the desert in which there is no man to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the ground sprout with grass? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens? When the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together. Can you hunt the prey for the lion? Or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their thicket? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wonder about lack of food? Chapter 39 Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? So funny. Do you observe the calming of the does? Can you number the months that they fulfill? And do you know the time when they give birth, when they crouch, bring forth their offspring and are delivered of their young? Their young ones become strong. They grow up in the open. They go out and do not return to them. The mountain goats. My goodness. I mean, Job is put in his place, on his knees before God, but that's not the point. God is telling us something about himself as Yahweh and El Shaddai, but Yahweh, he's personal. He knows every detail. The mountain goats giving birth he talks about ostriches and the ravens and all these crazy things i mean why is he telling him this stuff he's telling him to prove a point i am not only am i accessible i know every detail about your life job every detail listen to me that is the best news you could hear Because there are people in this room that are going through a lot of pain right now and you're asking the question, where is God? And he's proving to us that he's not absent from any part of your story. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your suffering better than you know yourself. He's acquainted with grief. The Bible says that we are partakers in the fellowship of the suffering of Christ. Job needed this response. and We need it. We start to question God's control and goodness like Alfonso, the learned. We say, I have some suggestions to offer God on how to govern the world. Job did what we do. He made his problems big and his God small. And he should have made his problems small and his God big. And when God shows up, he gets a healthy dose of reality. falls on his face. God comes out of the middle of the storm and gives us true reality which only he can define. He is the definition of reality. Our ideas of God and our ideas of our life have to be anchored in him, Yahweh. God is not a fool. He's not absent. He's not on vacation, and we cannot put our own human limitations on him. Romans 11, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repentant? God Almighty is also God-accessible. Finally, there is an answer to suffering. Job is read mostly by people that would say, this book is all questions and no answers. But that's not true. There's an answer to suffering. There's an answer to Job's suffering. It's found in a person. It's found in Jesus. God himself is is the answer to suffering. It's interesting to think about Jesus in this way. Most of us already have read this and thought, okay, this is God talking to Job, but this is not the Son and the Spirit. This is God the Father, the authority figure. But that's actually not true. That's really a bad way to look at the Trinity. This is God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit talking to Job. So what we have to do is we have to come to the realization that Job, like every other book in the Bible, is written for and about Jesus. Jesus, along with the Spirit and the Father, are the ones who say to Job, out of the storm, the Lord speaks to him. Trinity is important here. Here we have God meeting Job, Father, Son, and Spirit, not with the answers that Job wanted, but he met him with more questions. And here's why. The questions God asked pointed to a better answer. Not what Job wanted, but what he needed. And here's the answer to Job's questions about pain and suffering. It's just this. I am that I am. God answers Job with himself. One author said that Job never got an answer that he wanted for his pain and suffering, but he met with God and God saw him and that was enough. You cannot, listen to me, you're gonna suffer in life. If you haven't already, you might be right now. You'll suffer mentally, emotionally, physically. You will suffer. The answer to your question of why am I suffering will only ever be satisfied in a person. Jesus is the answer to your suffering. If you're looking for why, if you're saying, why God are you doing this to me? Why God are you letting this happen to me? Why whatever, you're never gonna find that. It's not up to you to create God in your image and govern the world like you think it should be governed or govern your life like you think it should be governed. The answer to your suffering and the answer to all of life is found in a person. The Bible says that he makes all things work together to the good of those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that he causes things to happen, which he might. You don't know, and I don't. We live in a broken world. God is sovereign over it. Somehow, way, in the mystery of God's sovereignty and the fall, somehow he's sovereign over it. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. The world is chaotic. I don't know what God insinuates issues I have no idea I know that he oversees the world somehow the answer to your suffering and pain is the answer to everything else Jesus meet with Jesus know him be known by him pursue him with your whole life and when pain and suffering comes around you can do just like James says you can count it joy when we encounter various trials Why? Because they produce maturity. They produce perseverance. The answer to pain and suffering is found in a person. It's found in Jesus. Peter Kreef says it this way. God will not answer Job because God is not the answer man. He's not the answerer. He's not the responder. God is the initiator. He's the questioner. He's not second. But first, his name is I am, not he is. God, per usual, comes to us on his terms. And that is the best thing for us because, my goodness, if God came to us on our terms, then we, along with everyone else in the world, wouldn't have a God at all. You would have an idol in your image. We would have a weak, emotion and circumstance driven God that can no more be trusted with the world than he can to save souls. God that's made in our image has no power to save anybody, much less give you answers to pain and suffering. We need God to be El Shaddai. We need him to be Yahweh. And we need him to lead us. We need God to govern the world how he sees fit because we are not fit. We need God to hold the covenant And we need God to give us himself. We need I am. That's what we need. The one who's never been created, who knows it all. Who's in every detail. Job responds to God the same way that anybody else who's ever met with God like this does in Scripture. Complete humility and complete undoneness. And that's how we should respond to God. job paul the road to damascus paul is met with jesus he says who are you lord falls down the shekinah the glory of god the face that burns brighter hotter than the sun moses in the wilderness god comes to him and says i am moses takes his shoes off i'm on holy ground Peter. Peter confesses, you are the Christ. Falls down. Isaiah. You've never met anybody more holy and godlike in your life than the prophet Isaiah. This man opened his mouth as an Old Testament prophet, and things came out that were directly from God. It's written in the book that God wrote. You think you're one-tenth as holy as Isaiah? Isaiah is every holy person you've ever met in your life times 10 wrapped up in one person. And Isaiah gets caught in a moment, in a vision with God and sees the glory of God. And holy Isaiah says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Put the cold to my mouth. Let me not ever speak again. I have nothing to say. Job falls down and worships. We should too. He is El Shaddai, God Almighty, and he's also covenant God, personal to us. Job is about Jesus. Just like in Job 38, God comes out of the whirlwind, the darkness, the storm, the haze, and confusion, and Jesus is born into the whirlwind, the storm, the haze, the confusion. Into the darkness, the light has come. The invitation for you today is this. I, there's, most of you have been to church before. A lot of you have been to church a thousand times. It's really scary to be a person who has gone to church a lot but doesn't actually know Jesus. And there are some in this room that are that. Maybe for the first time you, you feel like God is telling you something about yourself and about himself. And you feel like, I need to get my life, I need to know God, I don't know him, I know church. I know how to do the church stuff. I know the language. You might even tithe. I don't know. But you don't know Jesus, and he doesn't know you. You haven't trusted God to save your soul. Because that's what it comes down to is you can't save yourself. The God that you make in your image, which we do all the time, he can't save you. You need actual God. So if you've been to church a thousand times... Today, I just want to invite you, man. What is it profit a man that he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Give your life to Jesus today. Don't delay. Who cares about tomorrow? Give it all up, man. Be like Job. Whoa. Whoa is me. Fall down before him. Worship him today and then also with your whole life and then there's just several in the room that maybe you are a christian but you just forgot el shaddai yahweh you've been running around trying to hold the covenant yourself and you've lost your fear of the lord proverbs 9 says the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom you can't even start to have wisdom without fearing the lord first So, man, give your life, your heart, your everything. He's worth it all, I promise you. Give it to him. There's one God, you are not him. Give your life to him today. We're about to take communion together. We do this every single week here. It's also called the table, Eucharist. We take it every week. It's a sacrament of grace to our lives. On the bottom of your chair, on the floor there, your chair there's safely placed communion I don't even know what to call them packets they're really delicious we've got extras if you want to take some home for like a mid-afternoon snack I'm just kidding I don't know if I really hope that wasn't sacrilegious what I just said <laughs> so as you get ready to take communion we're gonna stand and take it in a little bit but I don't want you to do this in vain so listen to me, the Bible actually talks about if you're not a Christian, that you can take, you can take communion in vain and you can actually um, put harm on yourself, on your body. That's, the Bible says that in Corinthians. So I'm, I'm clear, we say it every week, but sometimes we pass over it. I, if you are a baptized believer, if you're a Christian, I want to invite you to take communion And take it as a repentant person. Take it with all your heart. If you're not a Christian, my goodness, please don't take this meal. It's not because we don't love you. It's not because we don't want you to feel welcome. I do. This makes me cringe every time I do it, but it's the biblical thing to do. Don't take this meal. This is a faith meal. It wouldn't make sense for you to take it anyway. Instead, come to the eternal feast jesus himself come and trust him your salvation your life let's stand together you're about to take the bread and this is what jesus did on the night he was betrayed he held up the bread to his friends he broke it and he said something really crazy he said this is my body broken for you take and eat And this is profound for us today. He held up the cup of wine. They drink wine at every meal, probably. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you, which is crazy. But he also said this is the cup of the new covenant. So this is a covenantal God. When you take and drink this, just remember that God is a God that holds the covenant. He's Yahweh. Take and drink.